Good morning, church. Uh, we're going to start, we usually do this, I think, towards the end, but we're going to start with it today. Uh, it's Veterans Day. Actually, I think the 11th, right? That is when it is, but uh, we're going to acknowledge it. And so I just want uh, to have any of our veterans that are here today, would you guys just stand or were uh, one time? You know, we appreciate you guys and your service, and, uh, you know, veterans are essential. Would you agree? I mean, they are who protect us as a country. They are the ones who give us this security and and, uh, just confidence uh, to go about our lives, and uh, just really appreciate them. Um, They are stronger together. Would you agree with that? Uh, one person cannot protect many, you know, a nation. It takes all of them coming together, and, and as they come together, they are stronger together. Uh, we're stronger together as, as they do that. So, um, which the reason I wanted to acknowledge them, because we were going to acknowledge them, but the reason I wanted to at the beginning is because it, it, it really leads well into what I want to talk to the church about this morning, and that is just this whole concept of being essential, of being stronger together. Um, you know, that, that word essential workers is something that uh, really has um, been brought up a lot in the midst of this pandemic and this struggle that we have uh, gone through as a country. And, and I just want to ask, you know, who are, who are they? Who are the essential workers? Who are... Um, uh, uh, and what do they do? You know, what makes them essential? Uh, you know, there's businesses that we, that the government, they have like labeled, you know, what they decided what is going to be essential businesses in the midst of this pandemic. They, and all of the workers that operate those are obviously the essential workers. And they made a list of this. And what are those lists? Well, it's things like uh, supermarkets, are definitely made the list, right? Uh, hardware stores made the list. Gas stations uh, made the list. Electric and utility companies, many of our city offices, um, hospitals and their workers, uh, child care uh, made the list. Even pet stores made the list as essential. Um, this one kind of I was surprised by, but according to what I was reading about, you know, what made the list, laundry mats. Laid, made the, the list. Um, how important is essential workers? Well, they're the backbone of allowing us to just continue to keep operating and continue to have, you know, the things, you know, to, the, to operate the structures of which we go. It makes sense, you know, which ones made the list. Uh, many of, of these are like, I mean, we've got to have food. We need gas. You know, we, we've, we've got to have hospitals. And we even have to take care of our animals. Now, most countries would probably laugh that that made our essentials. But the animals in our life are super important to us. And we have to take care of those. Um, not real sure why the laundromat made it. I mean, I, I wear wrinkled stuff even when we don't have a pandemic. But, uh, but anyway, but the one that... That should surprise us the most, that didn't make the list on most uh, states' list of essentials, was what? Church. And that should disturb us a little bit. That, but at the same time, I, I suppose that I'm not super surprised that, you know, the, the government, the some of the states and the governors uh, didn't see that it was necessary to put us upon the essential list. I mean, the state of Kansas governor didn't put us on there. In fact, uh, she tried to mandate that they close down. She got some, some people that put together a lawsuit, and she changed her mind pretty quick. Um, but we didn't even make the list here in Kansas. There was a day 
And we may have to look back quite a ways back into our past, but there was a day that the church would have made the essential list on everybody's list. The government list, every state list, it would have been there. You know, there was a day when the church was the first to, to care for the sick, the suffering, to risk their lives for these things. And so there was no way that it wasn't going to make the essential list. There was a day, in fact, when we think about our history, it was the church who, who started the first hospital that ever came into this United States. We were the people who educated the kids. That's why we had what we call Sunday school was for the purpose of educating our children and teaching them to read and to write uh, from the very beginning. We were obviously essential. No surprise that the world doesn't want to label the church as essential for, you know, the welfare of humanity. We've just become like, I don't know, optional. You know, they think that all we do is put on big concerts and that we have like this wholesome entertainment for family. You know, you can bring your kiddos and any age and there will have activities for you. They'll have concerts for you. They'll, they will do all that they can to make sure that they cater to, you know, making sure you have a good time as you gather. That's how the world sees us. Non-essential. It's not, it's not something you have to do. It's not a gathering that needs to continue to function. But I want to tell you something, church. Here's what's, that doesn't alarm me that the world thinks that we're non-essential. The most alarming thing that I have been dealing with for quite some time through all of this is that I'm not overly convinced that the church thinks that we are essential. You know, it, is, it has just been alarming to me how, how slow we have moved back into this once we shut down for a period of time. And it makes sense and I want to make sure that, that we are clear on this. It makes sense, and I would have done it again exactly the way we did it when we didn't know any more than we knew to shut down so that we could protect our people who were the most vulnerable. It made absolutely all the sense. But let me think, think through this with me for a minute. The moment that we got to the point where, okay, it's time to get back to work, it's time to get back to school, and not only have we gotten back to school, we have started doing our, our sporting events. We started doing all of our activities. We, people are starting to take vacations. I just came from Florida not too long ago. I mean, we're getting back into life. And you know what? 50%, and I'm not talking about just Westside. I'm talking about every church in the nation. 50% of the people have not stepped back into church. Is that not alarming to us? Is there something that, that I'm missing? Because it seems like the, our own people are saying, well, it's essential for me to go to work. It's essential that my kids are back in school. It's essential that they start playing football and looking into basketball. But it's not quite essential enough for me to step back into the church. This should be alarming to us. Have we lost a conviction that in-person assembly, gathering together in one location, whether it's inside the church or outside the building, but gathering together in person, have we lost the conviction that that is essential? Maybe that's just optional. At least on the same level of all the other categories that we just mentioned. You know, nobody's going to argue that work is important, it's super important for us, right? Or that school is important, or that I would say even sporting events are important and vacations are important and voting in person is important and all of these things that we are out there doing, I, I would not say that they're not important. I would say that they're important, but I would have to tell you that I don't see that they are more important than this right here. This is should be higher than all of those other things that I just mentioned. 
At least that's when we go to God's word and we ask God, what is it that you, how you want us to prioritize these things? I guarantee you one of the things that you'll come out with is that he thinks that church is essential and that it should be at the very top of your list as the things that you do on a regular basis. The Bible has painted a clear picture about that. What we do here is important to God. He's the one who established it. And what we do and what we accomplish while we're here is important to God. It's, it's also important to the world, even though the world does not want to recognize it. It is, we are the hope. If we're talking about eternity and believe that, that Jesus Christ is the only way to have our sins forgiven, the only way that we're going to get to the Father is through Christ, then we have to see that what we're doing is important, not only to God, but it's important to the world. We have something that can, we can offer them. It's important to us. Whether we recognize that or not, it's important to us because it is how we stay focused and how we stay connected, how we stir one another up and encourage one another daily to hang in there and to keep your focus upon the eternal things. I want to take you to our first scripture this morning because together, not only are we stronger, I think together it is essential that we are together. In Acts chapter 2, I just want you to see this picture of the first church and, and just the mindset that they had and, and, and how they, the priority that they put upon this assembly together. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You can't have fellowship without assembly. It's impossible to have fellowship when everybody is just off on their own doing their own thing. And, and so it's obviously they devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the church, to the apostles' teaching while they were gathered together, to the fellowship of one another as they gathered together. And it doesn't end there. It says, to the breaking of bread and prayers. We break bread together. We, we come together and we offer those prayers. And it goes on, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. You know, I just, the impact that that would have had on society, just think about it for a minute. That these people, in the midst of hostility and, and, you know, just great struggle, that they made sure that they operated together, that they were. And they were selling all of their possessions, giving it to the elders and say, you, you decide who needs what. And I know this is at the very beginning of the church, so it's like the purity of this assembly. But do you, can you see the impact that this church would have had because they came together? And everybody outside was looking and they were just like blown away by the power of their togetherness. They were growing. This church was, they were changing the world. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were growing in great leaps because they were symboling together. If nothing else that taught us that we learned about this election is together really accomplishes something. Right? No matter what side you're on. Nobody can accomplish anything apart from one, you know, apart from anything. If you're wanting to accomplish something great, you have to come together, like-minded, heading in the same direction. And the, and the Bible tells us that it is worth risking life and reputation to assemble together and, and to be together. It places it on the highest level of any other gathering. That's what the Bible does. 
And I, I know you know this, but when we opened the doors after that period of, you know, shutdown that, that we decided, they didn't decide for us, we decided to do that. Who were the first people back in these doors? Didn't shock me. But, in, in a, the, but the thing that I want to point out is that a, a large portion of the people back in our doors, as well as in every church that I know anything about, were the 55 and older group. Back in. The ones that we closed down for to protect were the ones that were like, well, finally, we're back open, Right? And as much as I want everyone to be protected and safe, and you know that I went to as great a length as I can think of to make sure that that is possible, I am glad that I'm not the only one who sees that this is essential. That this is what we're doing here has some reason and some purpose to it. Last week, I was alarmed, but not surprised, but alarmed that half of the families that take their kids to Tyro Christian School, half. Now, they did a poll, so I know that this is fairly accurate, right? Half of the families who have went back to work, the families who have decided that school is worth the risk, let's get our kids back into school. By the way, when they started school out there, they decided to just do this with masks. If you want your kid to wear a mask, just let us know. We'll make sure that they wear a mask. If you don't want your kid to wear a mask, just let us know, and they don't have to wear a mask. That's how they operate. I know that's not how the public schools operated, but that's how they decided to do this. And, and so half, I don't know, I would say a good, at least half of the kids don't wear masks. A good portion of the teachers don't wear masks, and that's just the way that they've operated, Right? And I'm not, and it's got nothing to do with masks. That's not what I'm bringing this up for. What I'm trying to tell you is that they're not terrified out there. Their kids are back in school, they're back in work, and yet half of them are back in church. Half of them said that they aren't attending church yet. I, that, that's, I can't help but be upset. Just by the, I don't understand. What, what is it that we are Seeing as essential, Jeremiah goes to Caney this year, and Friday he's back online, okay, because of too much COVID and too many people in quarantine. But Thursday they had a whole bunch of kids in quarantine, and Jeremiah got in a bus, drove over to like Pittsburgh, played bocce ball with other schools, and then went out and ate at a restaurant and came back so that they could tell him that you're going to be you know, back at home. And the only reason I tell you that is because bocce ball is more important than going to church. I, what, is, what is it that has happened? Now, we can attack the governors and we can attack the leaders because we did not make the list of essentials. And we can complain all we want, but let me, let me say something Do we not cast our own judgment upon the church as it being a non-essential if we, at this point in time, don't feel like that it deserves our attendance? Don't worry about the governors. The world is always going to see you as non-essential, but do we we see ourselves as non-essential? Is that what we are telling the world? That's what this preacher is hearing. And I'm not saying that it's a problem with us. It's a problem nationwide in every church. Every church is struggling tremendously with their attendance. And yet, for the most part, we are all back into school, back into our jobs, back into our activities, back into our restaurants. We are back into our salons. We were placed in a list of, this is what we're going to place. The non-essentials, here's the list. Casinos, right? Gyms, uh, salons, uh, concerts, uh, sporting events, 
And there we were and in a lot of states, churches. But you know what? We're back doing sporting events. We're back in our salons. I don't know if the casinos are open. Don't really care. But we are back doing those things before we are back to church. I, I just think that this ought to be alarming to us. I know for sure it's alarming to God. Where does God put all of this? See, I, th- I think it's time for the church to really look within itself and ask a question, have we allowed ourselves to become non-essential? Is that how we view ourselves? Are we essential? Is the church essential? More importantly, are you essential to the church? And let me tell you the answer to that, and that is, yes, you are. The church needs you. I just had a conversation with Lynn as we were coming in, and I just really appreciate, you know, his attendance. He, he told me he comes here, and he goes to the grocery store if he has to. That's it. I appreciate that. I don't want anybody to risk anything. That's not my point here. But I just appreciate that that's a high priority. You know, everybody's got to make priorities. If they, if they leave the house, then they made a decision that whatever I'm going to go leave for is important enough to me to put a little risk to it. And I appreciate, you know, somebody that is doing that. Because in this what I told, told Lynn, I said, you know, uh, just seeing you lifts me up. Just, just the fact that we see each other, the fact that somebody else sees that this is essential time, this is gathering is important enough, it lifts me up. And I know it has to lift you up too. Just like a few weeks ago, it was several weeks ago, we had the lowest attendance ever. And I can't help but I just felt, oh my, so discouraging. And I... and. and and I get we're going to be popping in and out because people are quarantined and all of that. I, that's not what I'm talking about either. I'm just talking about the priority we're putting on this. There is a problem. The church is losing its energy and effectiveness in our country. We, we are becoming lazy and apathetic. You know, we can't become a pajama church. We just can't. And think that we could be effective and that we're actually going to move any, anything that's of importance. There's a time for it, no doubt, right? But we have to realize that it is when we come together that we are strong. It's when we realize that this is essential no matter what. That's when we, we start not only convincing ourselves, we start convincing the people outside of us that there's something worth something. Worship is, is never one-directional. If it was, then we all just, hey, we'll just put Andrew and Thomas on it, and we just, we just stay home. But, but it's not one-directional. If we become a one-directional worshiping unit, then we become extremely selfish, I mean, think about this for a minute. If, if that becomes the thing, then we think that it's all, be, all but what I bring in. All what you can give me and what contributes to me, that's all that it really matters. I'll worship God and just let him bring it in. But, but you have to realize that the, I think, and it's not even half and half, I think that the biggest part of church is what you give. It's, you come here, and I've always been taught, from the moment that I became a Christian, that it's an audience of one, right? That we're not here to, I'm not here to perform, and Matthew's not up here to perform, right? He, we, are, we are here, all of us are here to perform for him. He's the audience. You're not the audience. I'm not performing for you. We're all here to worship the one true God. And so it's what we give to him but it's also what we give to each other. You cannot give to each other if you're not together. And so we, we just have to realize that that's just the way that church works. That's the way God designed it. 
But I don't think the problem was created by COVID-19, and I want to make sure that that's clear too. I think what COVID-19 did is, is expose something that was already a problem. It, it, it's, just, it's just laid it bare. That's what hard times do, by the way. If you want to know where a, a, a weak link is in, in a chain or a rope or anything, just put it under a lot of stress, and you'll find out real quick. And I think that that's just all that, that's been done here is that COVID-19 has put a lot of stress upon the church and all of a sudden we, we are exposed. Church has gone from a duty to Jesus. I owe this to Jesus. I owe it to him. To Entertainment. And concerts. And yeah, man, I, I hate that I have to miss, but my schedule is just crazy. We would never tell that to Jesus. But we have, our mindset is just that we see it as optional instead of what it used to be. It used to be like, I've got, this is just what you do, this is what we do. And what happens is, is that. If, if we end up operating that, it really has become more of a gym or a beauty parlor, right? Where, where we just come and we're just kind of take care of the outer person. We just got to, we just come and take care of the surface type of stuff. And, and it becomes not seen as essential part of being a follower of Jesus. As long as we see it as a great place to get a, a good cup of coffee and mingle, we're always going to be seen as non-essential. Because coffee houses were also on the list, right? Hangout places were also on the list. We have got to be seen as something that actually has something worth doing. I want to take you to another passage here in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start in verse 19. I want to walk through this with you just a little bit. I also want to remind you before we even read through this, maybe it would help at the beginning if you know this, but and I think you do because I talk about it a lot when we read the scripture, but this church wasn't dealing with a pandemic. This church was dealing with full-blown persecution of, of Christians. And so just take the, what we've been dealing with for a year and times it by 20 uh, as far as stress and fear and all of those things that go along with it. It says here, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, you know what he means by that, right? The house of God. He's talking about the church. Since we have this Jesus who is the head of the church, as Paul says in Corinthians. Jesus, this is his body. This is his church. He says, since we have this high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we stir one another on to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see what he's saying, right? 
through this very difficult time, and you all know how difficult this is, that you, you literally could lose your lives if, to do what I'm fixing to ask you to do, but I'm going to ask it of you anyway. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us continue to stir one another up, and let us continue to meet together. Even though there's a lot to risk, let us do this because there is too much at stake for not. What is at stake? He goes right through that. What happens if the church stops being the church? What if he didn't encourage us? What if he let them drift away because of fear and the fear of persecution and, and things of that sort? This is, listen to what he says in verse 26. For if, let us do these things because for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now this, I'm going to keep reading this, but church, this should scare the tar out of us. This is why I need the church. For a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire, fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he, has, he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I know that all of you know this. You step away from church just a week or two and you start feeling the pressure of Satan in your life. And all of those things that are trying to pull and, and tug you back into the relationship with the world and the relationship with sin. And it will cause you to start trampling underfoot the Son of God, the one who came to seek and to save you. You'll begin to start being loyal more to the things of the world and the sin of the world than you are Jesus Christ. And that's why all of a sudden you will feel like, well, the church is just an optional thing. I, I got other things I want to do this week. And the next thing you'll know, you'll, just, you'll wake up one day and you'll just think, how did I get in this mess again? The church is, is what is keeping you centered. It is what keeps you gives you your foundation as a Christian. It is what gives you your focus. What is it that we do? We stir one another up. We, we encourage people to cling, to draw near to God in the midst of it. Here's the thing, though. Hard times is what exposes the weakness of us. We already talked about that, right? Chain, put it under stress. You're going to find out where your weak link is. But let me tell you something else. Hard times is also what refines us. It also what makes us stronger. You go to a blacksmith and ask him, how did you make that, <laughs> that knife or that metal so strong? Well, it's, got, it's called forging, I guess, right? It's what you put into the fire and you test it and you knock out the purities and, and whatever, but you end up making it stronger than it would have been. And, and God knows how this works. God's people knows how this works. M.R., I think he was the one who read the scripture in our prayer time that, that was in James chapter 1, reminding us we count it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials or trials of many colors, that the NIV says, of every kind, because why? What does it do? What do trials do? It strengthens us. We count it pure joy when we encounter trials, knowing that that it gives us endurance and makes us perfect, complete, not lacking anything. God knows this. That's why, look what he says then in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured harsh, hard struggle and suffering. Recall that. I want you to remember the, the times that you really were struggling. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who treated. 
I want you to remember that. You know, I had communion with one of our brothers here at the church. On Thursday, we sat back there in the, the nursery and, and uh, took up communion and prayed together and read some scripture and, and then just visited. He had cancer uh, and was doing pretty well, but the cancer some, a little bit back has come back, and now he's terminal, they said. And, uh, you know, uh, he said he's, he's doing pretty well. But in the midst of our conversation, what he told me is, is, is just this. He said, he said uh, it's been hard, but it has made his spirit more alert and alive than it ever has been. He said he's closer with God, that he prays more and his prayers are more heartfelt. He said that, that he, his biggest concern in his life right now is his kids' relationship with Jesus. More so than he's ever been you know, concerned about that. But now that's, that's his biggest concern in life. And that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to help them remember is, do you remember the struggle and how the struggle brought you to God? And I can't help but think of Scripture like this. I know how I voted last Tuesday But I don't know how God wants things, what he wants to do. And, and we just, we've got to realize that what God wants more than anything is to build his church. That's, that he, 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 that's the only thing that he has come to do, and that's what is his concern. To build the church. To keep adding to its number daily. And I can't help but already see just in a few days that the church has actually started having, like I saw on, on, on Facebook, just one post after another post. One of these posts was these, these sharks swimming in the water, right? And this guy's in this little bitty boat. And he's just laid back like he's sunbathing. And this is just, woo, this is cool. And I don't remember the caption exactly, but it said something like, uh, God's got this or something like that. I've been missing those kinds of posts. I don't know. Why, why do we cling to God more when times are bad? And yet we think everything, everything is good when times are good and we don't need God. I, I don't know. Maybe we will see that the church is more essential in the next four years than we saw it was in the last four years. I don't know. I just, I just believe that the church is essential, don't you? And I believe that God's up to the same thing. He's wanting to build his church. He's wanting to build it from within, and he's wanting to build it, you know, and bring people from without in. And afflictions can enhance our focus. It can enhance our effectiveness as a church. It goes on in verse 34. Listen to what he says. He, so he's telling them, remember what the affliction, what the struggle has brought. And he says this, he says, for you had compassion on those in prison. That's what comes out of the affliction, right? Is they become more effective. They become back to doing what God wanted them to do in the first place. Showing themselves to be essential in their activity, in their mindset. And so he says, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. People came and robbed you of your stuff. And here's what he says, and since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted people robbing you blind. Why? Because, hey, 
I got a way better deal going on with God than anything that you think you can do against me. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, he says, which has a great reward. Don't, don't be convinced that what you are doing, church, gathering together, has no importance it does. You're stirring one another up. You're, you're encouraging people to cling and to draw near as you come together. You are keeping your focus on what your agenda is, and that is to seek and to save the lost. You're not putting up barriers for that not to happen, by the way. But you're making sure that you have access to the people that you need to be sharing Jesus with. For, for you, in verse 36, he says, for, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Church is essential in keeping our focus. Look in verse 37. He says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous, righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, listen to this. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If he shrinks back. Now you have to ask yourself, if you've gone back to work and school and activities and vacations and trips, and yet church is not that essential in your life, have you not shrunk back? I don't know. That's, that's how I would view it. But verse 39, it says, But we are not those who shrink back. And destroy and are destroyed, but those who have faith and, and preserve their souls. There's a, a thing I was reading the other day. Is these this group of people that went out on the street and they just interviewed uh, people. And, and their question, this is what caught my attention, is their question was this, uh, why is the church important? That's what they asked. Just random people on the street. Why is the church important? And they got all kinds, you know, they got people that just laughed at them like, <laughs> it's not important. And then they got other people. But there was this one particular guy that came up, and, and they said this, not me. They said that they, they thought he was probably Jewish just because of his dress and his demeanor uh, about him. And so they asked him this question, and they were completely shocked by his answer. But they asked him this question, why is the church important? Would you care to comment? And this is what he said. He says, I believe the church of Jesus Christ is the most important force in the world today. Its task is more important than all the governor, governments and universities of the world combined. There is nothing to compare with it. And they followed up. They says, that's a pretty strong statement, sir. Uh, why would you say that? And this is what he said. Because the most... Because... The most significant event in human history was when the living God took on human flesh and lived among us as the Lord Jesus Christ to bear our sins. And since he ascended into heaven, his church now reveals him on the earth. And as he revealed God when he was, as Jesus revealed God when he was on the earth. I just, that is amazing, isn't it? That's how, that's how God sees his church. The church is important because it reveals Christ. You see, Jesus was an incarnate, right? That means that, that he came in the flesh to show us God. In, in a very real sense, the church is incarnate too. Its purpose is to show the world God. It's to reveal to them and, and help them understand this God and understand his ways and his love and his mission and his message. This is what our last verse here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is what he's trying to express. Verse 14, he says, Paul says, I, I hope to come to you soon, but 
I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. Listen, listen to what he says. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. That's what, that's what our job is, is to represent him. How are we representing him if we're not here? Micah and Carrie are both registered nurses now. I could not be more proud of not only, you know, them getting through school, which is awesome, but uh, what they've chose to do. And Micah works in the mental health in Freeman, and Carrie works in the OB and, and Levette. And, and they're both considered uh, essential workers now. Okay? And, and what that means, by the way, when, when I had to quarantine, you know, the health department called me and said, hey, you got to go into quarantine. I tried to explain to her, hey, you know, I just need you to know I'm a preacher, and a lot of people are counting on me to run errands and do things. I got to preach this Sunday. Evidently, I'm not essential. That's all I'm telling you. She says, stay home. Uh, you're going to have to not do any of those. But Mike and Carrie are essential workers, and here's what that means. They are around people all the time that have COVID. They come in contact with them all the time. And when they do, their, their boss you know, will take them in and say, Micah, this such, such person had COVID, or Carrie, this such a person have COVID, and just want you to make, be made aware of it, and now I need you to know that you need to wear your mask everywhere you go, Okay until to see if you end up getting this. And, and Mike has even told several times, wear your gloves, wear your mask everywhere you go, try not to be around people, and stuff like that. But this is how they always end those conversations. Guess what they say? I'll see you tomorrow. No quarantine for them. You don't quarantine, you don't quarantine uh, essential workers. That's, how, that's, that's what they, they think that they're so essential that we need you here. If we quarantined everybody that was an essential worker, we wouldn't have any workers. They'd be gone. Communion is a lot like that. You know, we're, we're going to move to this. And here's, here's the conversation I think that God would have for us today as we go into our communion time, I think that he would, our Heavenly Father, who not only established the church and all of those verses that I just read to you and why and how important that they are, but he also established this table. And I think that this would be the conversation he'd have with you. He, he, he would want you to know that he thinks you're our essential workers. He's not going to quarantine you. He's going to tell you, you know what, I know that you've been exposed this week. I know that you've been out there and Satan has been trying to get his germs all over you. He's trying to get you to, to you know, come down with something that would, would not allow you to be here. But he would, he would let you know and remind you that he thinks you are essential. And he would tell you to be careful. But he would end that conversation with just this. I'll see you next week. Because essential workers aren't quarantined. I'll see you next week. And we just have to remember when you come to this table, there was risk involved when Jesus, and he knew it and he accepted it. He knew what it was going to end. It was going to end in his death burial and resurrection, right? But he was willing to do it, and everybody that came to him and wanted to know, what must I do to have eternal life? He didn't just say, kick back, and I got this, I'll just do everything. He said, I did everything, but he always told them, if you're going to follow me, you have to realize that there is a lot of risk involved. There is a lot of risk. It may cost you your life. In fact, actually, it's going to cost you your life. That's what he says. The world hates you just like it hates me. 
And don't think following me is going to be easy. It's going to be risky. And I'm just saying, church, if we're willing to risk things outside of this church, then surely the church is worth the risk. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much that you remind us how you see things. Father, we need your, your insight. We need your vision. We need your perspective. And I thank you that your word gives that to us. I thank you, Father, for those who lived many, many years ago who were told when they were in a lot worse situation than we have experienced that it's still worth the risk to assemble. Because it helps us in times like this to know what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. Father, also, I just thank you so much for the reminder that you are still using your church to reveal yourself to this world. Help us feel that burden. Help us feel that duty. That this is our way, this is our part that we play in, in helping the world coming together and being stronger together to to help the world see you and this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, most important as we come to this table, help us to just really understand what you have done for us and what it literally asks of us. We are drinking what represents blood, and eating a cracker that represents a body to remember the sacrifice for which that was, has saved us. And it also is something that should remind us, Father, of the sacrifice it demands of us and the risk that it asks of us. Help us, Father, to come together as a church Help us not lose our effectiveness for each other, for our community, for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.